Hello? Anything? Got me? All right. Okay. Is Kim here today? All right, so she won't scold me when I say this wrong, but I love you all. <laughs> she always scolds me. She says I say it like a question, but I don't know. <clears throat> um, I especially want to thank, um, say thank you to all of our Baptist brothers and sisters. Um, we don't say it near enough, but thank you. Thank you for the coffee, for the treats, the classrooms, um, for putting up with noisy kids and adults during your service as we leave our Sunday school Um, Just thank you for being such gracious hosts. Um, Also want to apologize to anyone who showed up today expecting to hear Josh or Terry preach. Uh, It's going to, what a letdown, you know. Uh, I promise I won't do as good a job as either of those um, men would have, but I'm guessing I make better chili than they do, so. So that counts for something. Um, Again, I apologize for the quality of preaching today, but I'll try to make up for it with briefness, so. Okay, today we'll be looking at the story of the rich young ruler from Matthew 19, 16 through 30. Uh, At CLC, we've been working through the book of Matthew for like four or five years. Um, And we hope to be done sometime near the end of this decade. So just kidding. It's been really fruitful and uh, we're we're jumping back in after a little break. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Matthew 19, 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen, yeah. Um, Okay, so thank you, Jesus. Let's dive into that. Uh, First, I want to kind of take a look at the young man. Uh, This same story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And combined, we get a a clearer picture of who this guy is. Um, They all make it pretty plain that he's wealthy. That's probably because it's kind of the point of the story. Um, But Matthew tells us he's a, he's a, a young man probably in his 20s, um, and Luke even goes so far as to say he's some kind of ruler, maybe some sort of official or administrator. Um, It's kind of unclear, Um, but that's why we always call it the rich young ruler. Um, It's the title we give him. 
we also know that he's religious. His response to Jesus makes it pretty clear that he's grown up hearing um, the Torah preached and rightfully desires eternal life. He's someone who seems to have everything going for him. He's a pillar of the community. We obviously have no idea what he looks like, but kind of just in my head, I've always pictured him as like an old school Boy Scout. You know, a young leader who little kids look up to because he's always doing the right thing and things are always working out for him. But I guess he is from the Middle East and first century, so the Boy Scout thing probably isn't real helpful. But, you know, it's kind of what pops up into my head. So, all right. So something else um, is I think he's genuine. Mark's gospel shows us shows this man running up to Jesus and falling on his knees to ask his question about eternal life. It's hard to say with certainty, but I think he's genuinely asking Jesus what he can do to inherit life. And Jesus doesn't answer his question like he does when this um, when some of the religious leaders who are trying to be sneaky and trap Jesus come up to him. No, Jesus gives him a genuine, direct answer. Um, so let's take a look at how Jesus answers his question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, obey the commandments. Seems pretty simple, right? (laughs) Of course, then the guy responds with which ones, which always kind of confused me. I mean, there's only 10, right? Why not just shoot for all of them? But, you know, whatever. Uh, Anyway, so at this point, our man probably feels good, you know? He's done all those things since he was a child. He's not a murderer. He hasn't committed adultery, hasn't stolen, hasn't perjured himself. He's probably generous. But he keeps pushing. He says, what else do I lack? And that's when Jesus shows him exactly what he is lacking in regards to the commandments, in regards to his obedience. See, when the guy asked which ones, and I jokingly said there's only ten, that's not really true, is it? There's over like 600 commandments in the Torah. But God gave us the ten commandments as a way to kind of distill and boil those 600 down into their essence. Um, All those 600 can be found kind of in the 10. Um, And Jesus then takes those 10 and boils them down even further, just into two, into two parts. And he says, first, love God. And because you love God, love your neighbor. Um, And Jesus spells this out in Mark, Mark 12, 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and he asked him of all the commandments Which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So now when the young man asks what he's lacking, Jesus doesn't answer by just saying... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If he had, I think the young man would probably say, Great, I do love God. Awesome. You know? And he'd probably walk away pleased and thinking that he will inherit eternal life. Jesus instead cuts right through to the heart of the matter like he does every time in Matthew. He cuts to the heart and shows the man where his love and loyalty and faith truly reside. He tells the man to sell everything and leave his position of authority and submit himself as a disciple. 
He's showing the man exactly where his loyalties are. Jesus loves this man. So he doesn't want, want to let the guy go away thinking he's righteous or good or will inherit life. The rich young ruler is only obeying half of what God commands. He's got those second half commandments down. He's not murdering, adultering, perjuring, you know, etc. If we take him at his word, he is loving his neighbor. The problem is, is he forgot about the greatest commandment. He thinks he is trusting and loving God. I mean, he's obeying the commandments and seeking eternal life. But he has an idol. He has another God. In his mind, he is trusting and obeying God, and his, but his heart is serving a different master. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus talks about serving two masters. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew six twenty four, Jesus states, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Funny that the two masters are God and money there. And out of love here, Jesus shows the rich young ruler what truly has hold of his heart. Jesus shows the man that money is his true master. Out of love, Jesus shows the man his sin. He tells him to repent and to put his trust and faith in God by following Jesus. But unfortunately, and I don't remember which gospel it's in, but as the man walks away, it says Jesus is sad. Like, just breaks your heart. But um, unfortunately, in this moment, the man doesn't. He has this opportunity from Jesus to discard his idol, to turn his heart truly to God by abandoning his money and position. But it seems like the price is too high. The man walks away deflated. And if we stopped there, this could just be a story about a rich guy in the first century that in a moment of testing, his faith failed him. But Jesus continues teaching his disciples about how much or about how money is such a difficult stumbling block for humans. And this part is scary for me and probably should be for us because we live in the U.S. We live in Tonkwa, Oklahoma, and compared to the rest of the world, we are wealthy beyond imagination. Now, don't, don't uh, get me wrong. In and of itself, being rich isn't sinful. I think Jesus is really saying that wealth and riches are extremely dangerous because they aren't inherently wrong. Someone having money doesn't harm another person like adultery, uh, adultery harms a spouse and family. Or how stealing and murder are just obviously wrong. <clears throat> no, having lots of money is not sinful. But money and wealth are deceitfully evil because they cause humans to worship things and possessions with their time and thoughts and not God. Money has a way of causing us to trust in something other than God's words and promises. Being wealthy makes it easy to love and focus on the things of this age. And this age is not the point. This age is fallen. I read the uh, NIV version of our text earlier today because it's the one a lot of us are most familiar with. Um, but my favorite is actually the Blessed Hope translation. In that translation, the rich young ruler asks Jesus, what must I do to receive life in the coming age? I like that version because it explicitly states what eternal life actually means. Life in the age to come. 
Don't fall in love with this broken, fallen, evil age. There's an age to come. There's a day of the Lord. There's a resurrection of the dead. And there's a king who's coming back to make everything as it should be. The problem with wealth is that it's easy to put your trust in it. It's deceptive. It it tells you that it'll fix things. It tells you that it'll make you happy. Money has a way of rounding off the hard edges of the curse from Genesis 3 that's meant to humble us and turn us back to God. Money has a way of setting our eyes on and turning our hearts to the things of this age. That's why Jesus says that bit about a camel. People who are comfortable, content, successful, don't know they need a savior. I really hope that gives you pause today because it really did me. Uh, And remember, the rich young ruler couldn't see his idol until confronted with Jesus' command. Unknown and unseen idols gripping our hearts. That's, it's terrifying. Um, Now, I don't think anyone here has been asked by God to sell everything. Maybe you have, I don't know. Right? But he has asked each and every one of us to put him first. He asks us to seek first his kingdom. And loving God with all our heart and soul ultimately means obedience to what he asks us. And maybe that is selling everything. If it is, and make sure it actually is the Lord asking, you know, say yes. Maybe the Lord is asking you to leave friends and family and go to India for three years to reach the unreached. Maybe he's just telling you to join a small group or start reading the Bible with someone. Say yes. Say yes to the small stuff so you are ready if the day comes to say yes to the big stuff. You know, and and here's some good news. That seemingly impossible yes is possible with God. God sends his Holy Spirit to convict us and reveal brokenness and fallenness of this age. He sends his spirit to keep our hope and trust in God and the age to come. He gives us examples in the Bible of people denying themselves in this age and living for the age to come. He gives us examples of people in this room that we can emulate. Real flesh and blood blood examples to strengthen us. So we can look at them and say, if they can say yes over and over what they're going through, then, then I can say yes too. So through God's faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his sacrifice, his empty tomb, we are strengthened to hope and long for the age to come and to put all our eggs in his basket. And in the next part of the story, Jesus gives us encouragement to do that, to do just that. So in Matthew 19, starting in verse 27, in response to all the bit about the camel and stuff, in response, Peter said to him, what about us? We have left behind everything to be your disciples. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, amen. I solemnly tell you this. As for you, disciples of mine, in the renewal of creation, when the Son of Man sits on his throne of glory, you too will each sit on a throne, judging and governing the twelve tribes of Israel. In fact, everyone who has left behind house, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for the sake of my name, will receive 
indeed a hundred times as much, and will inherit this life in the coming age. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Many, however, who are now first will at that time be last, and many who are now last will at that time be first. You have to love Peter, right? (laughs) Always the first to jump in and speak his mind. And his question is great. What do we get when we have counted the costs? What do we get for denying ourselves and loving God with every part of our being? What do we get for staying on the narrow path and trusting in God alone? Because frankly, Jesus, this is hard. It's hard to live for tomorrow when we live in today. And today the wicked prosper. The weak are abused. The truth is hated. But again, Jesus gives them hope. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, gives a really Jewish answer to his really Jewish disciples here. In the age to come, when God cleanses the earth of all wickedness and effects of the fall, when the Son of Man, God's Messiah, Jesus, sits on David's throne in Jerusalem, these lowly disciples who have given up everything in this age, they will be elevated as the leaders and rulers and governors of the Jewish people. Not the scribes and religious leaders of the day that are lording their positions of power over the people they are supposed to be shepherding. Not the experts in the law who tithe, mint, and dill, but neglect mercy and justice. No, many of those who are currently first and at the top of this age have already received their reward, and they have none in the age to come. He tells his disciples the truth. He tells them that now, today, is not always It's not even long. It's fleeting. Anyone who has kids knows. I mean, Sam, I think, was born last week, and now he's four. So, I mean, four years are gone in a flash. It's crazy. Uh, So what is today compared to eternity? And Jesus doesn't leave us Gentiles out. Everyone, Jew or Gentile, who humbles themselves and denies themselves to follow and trust in God and his Messiah in this age, they will be resurrected to eternal life in the age to come. On a renewed earth where there's no death or sickness or wickedness or sadness, we won't have to worry about corrupt leaders and wicked governments who exploit the weak and vulnerable for self-advancement. Because there will be one perfect king on the earth, ruling from Mount Zion. Okay. 20 minutes, I mean, that's... Right? (laughs) Alright, I'm going to wrap this up with a couple of scriptures. Um, The first is my favorite in the Bible. It's a glimpse of the age to come. And it's one that helps me to keep signing up and saying yes. um, Like a carrot. Kind of. I hardly ever stand up here with a mic without reading it, honestly. So... It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, talking about Zion, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, The veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. 
and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Um, Robert, can you come play the piano really well? (laughs) So lastly, I want to read a passage from the book of Revelation that summarizes most of what we talked about today. Uh, It's kind of crazy how much it just goes through it. Uh, In chapter 3, Jesus tells John to warn and strengthen the church in Laodicea with this verse. Or sorry, with this, starting in verse 17 of that chapter. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, perseveres. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so I ask anyone today who hasn't put their hope and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross, anyone who either hasn't heard Jesus' voice at the door or who has but hasn't opened it, talk to Terry, talk to Josh, talk to myself, Talk to any member of Christian Life Church or the Baptist Church about opening that door and putting your faith in Christ. Um, please join me in prayer. Bow your heads. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for your hard words that, uh, that we don't like to hear and that might cause us to squirm a little bit. Um, Please give us ears to hear. Search our hearts for hidden idols. Break down any strongholds in our hearts and minds that keep your word from taking hold inside of us. Give us hearts that long for you first and above everything else. Give us clear eyes to see this age for what it is. And give us a clear vision of the glory of the resurrection and the age to come. Strengthen us to run the good race you have set before us and strengthen us to persevere in laying down our lives for your word. We love you and we long for your return. Amen and Maranatha. Elders.
If you're not praying with an elder or a deacon, pray in your row, pray in your seat, pray with people. Like this is just time for um, prayers. So. Body, come, come pray. Let us lay hands on you um, and ask the Lord.